the volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new... Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Eideck is here. BoxingScene.com, senior writer, columnist over there. What's happening, Keith? Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, A lot is going on. Uh, And there's a bunch of topics I want to get into with you today. But can we begin with like... Shout out to Marius Breedis for leaning all in on the Jake Paul stuff. Like, Marius Breedis getting what is either a tattoo. It's got Jake on his leg. He's got the name Jake now on his leg right now as he becomes the latest boxer. This time an active boxer and a pretty damn good boxer. Breedis, arguably the top guy at Cruiserweight, lobbying for a fight against Jake Paul, which proves my point, Keith. Like, 
These guys can dump on Jake and what he's doing all they want. But to quote Canelo, they want the payday, the payday, the payday when it comes to Jake Paul. I'm not convinced it's a real tattoo. Um, Either way, you're still inking yourself in the leg and you're calling out Jake Paul. You are the number one cruiserweight in the world. You're calling out Jake Paul. There's a very big difference between a real tattoo and a fake tattoo. And you could ask Pete Davidson, who is now getting 97 tattoos removed from his entire body, how different they are. But um, I I don't really understand what he's trying to accomplish. I mean, he's getting some attention out of it. And he's not really uh, a fighter who's gotten much attention despite being a world champion and maybe the best cruiserweight in boxing now. Um, Why is a guy with five fights supposed to fight a world champion? He's not. I know, but, but so, so the point is, it almost, it almost makes him look goofy and thirsty for trying to, like, he doesn't really think that Jake Paul is going to fight him, right? I mean, and in Jake Paul's defense, whatever anyone thinks of Jake Paul, he has five fights, right? Or is it six now? Five. Whatever it is. Going it's, into it's, six right. would be his next. Yeah, he's going, going into his sixth fight. And, and to even consider fighting Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who is a shell of a shell of a shell of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, that's a pretty big step for him because he's, he, he is a real boxer, whatever people might think, you know, he's older now, of course, 36 or whatever age he is. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, flawed failure of a, uh, of a fighter, but, um, but he is a real boxer, you know? So, so if he fights him, he would, he would deserve some credit for doing that. He won't get it because the cesspool that is uh, boxing, social media, and such—they won't give him any credit for anything. But um, the problem is, he keep, look, the problem I, is like, let me just say, the problem is with boxers jumping on Jake Paul is that there are receipts out there. Like I had this conversation with Sergio Mora like multiple times, right? Where I point out to Sergio that his first ten opponents were terrible. I heard Tony Bellew on DAZN, and I love Tony. Was a take on all comers guy at the end, but his fourth pro fight. His opponent had 92 losses. We got to stop pretending like just because guys like have boxing resumes that they're real boxers too. Most of these guys have full-time jobs and train at Equinox right. or something along yeah. the, those lines. Yeah, no, that that's true. And and I thought we were going to have to put you and Sergio in a timeout there. You were going back and forth so much there about uh, it's a lot. about his resume and yeah, I mean, geez, the, the, the zone producer. I want to go meet separ- Warren Cronenberger. I need to meet Warren Cronenberger and ask him that see is, what he's that doing. Is, that is Cronenberger is not a boxer's name. I can say it's that much. Not. Um, Jesus, but um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's the it's the guy who does the taxes of yes. the fighter who you know brings his purse to him or whatever. Uh, but uh, look. I understand the hate directed at Jake Paul from boxers who've been, you know, really working hard at their craft as amateur fighters coming up through the amateur system. And then, you know, trying to make some semblance of a living in a sport in which it's not very easy to do that. So I get some of the, the jealousy and the, and the uh, dislike directed toward him, but it is what it is. And it's not going away. And until someone beats him and beats him badly, it's not going away because he has, a, uh, a fan base, you know, maybe not quite as big as people might have thought at one time, but he has a fan base that are willing to pack arenas and uh, willing to buy his pay-per-views. Um, so he's here to stay until someone beats him. And, and look, I think also you have to give him credit for taking boxing seriously, uh, much more so maybe than his brother has, and has really attempted to get better at it. And he is improving. You know, Tyron Woodley, obviously not a boxer, 39 years old and all that, took the fight on the rematch on short notice. But that was a picture-perfect knockout that he scored in December. And um, it, it showed some signs of improvement from him. And 
again, until someone beats him and beats him badly, he's not going anywhere. And, and for world champions to be calling him out, I, I understand it to some extent because he's trying to get paid too. And he has a family to support and everything. It just kind of, I don't know. It just kind of looks goofy to me. I don't know. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to, you want to hear about Jake Paul, go back and we'll listen to the previous episode of this podcast when he was on or watch any yeah. of the episodes of jabs over on to zone. We, we go at it pretty good on that subject. Uh, Keith, I do want to talk about what was revealed as a pretty dark story in boxing this week. When Terrence Crawford, one of the best fighters in the world, welterweight champion, recently decided to leave top rank after his contract expired, filed a lawsuit against top rank, a six count multi-million dollar complaint that alleges uh, two separate counts of breach of contract, one count each of fraudulent misrepresentation, negligent misrepresentation, tortious breach of implied covenant of good faith, and accuses top rank in this 23-page complaint of, quote, extensive extensive allegations of racial bias against Terrence Crawford and, quote, disparagement treatment of black boxers. There's a lot to unpack here, Keith, but, you know, you and I have covered top rank for a long time. We've covered Bob Arum for a long time. What was your reaction when you got wind of this lawsuit? I was pretty surprised by the uh, racial element to it, not not terribly surprised that Terrence Crawford would file a lawsuit just because I think more than anything, probably if you, if you had Terrence Crawford in a quiet moment, Chris, um, I don't think that he believes that he's going to get any damages out of this lawsuit. I think this was more a response to Bob Arum saying some things about Terrence Crawford last year and earlier this year, uh, uh, no, 2021, the end of 2020 Mm -hmm. and throughout 2021, he had said some disparaging things about Terrence Crawford that frankly Bob Arum should not have said. I mean, he's your he's your fighter. You're working in conjunction with with each other theoretically, anyway, uh, to to make him as big a star as possible. Terrence Crawford thinks that Bob Arum did all those things or said all those things because he thought or he was convinced that Terrence Crawford was not going to resign with Top Rank, which he's not. Um, Bob, you know, look, uh, you know, Bob's a polarizing guy, obviously. Um, and, and some of those things that he said about Terrence Crawford, he didn't say anything racist about Terrence Crawford. He said some things about Terrence Crawford's marketability and the fact that he's not a pay-per-view draw. Um, newsflash, he's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think uh, in some ways Top Rank um, maybe got some criticism that that it didn't solely deserve for the Porter fight, for it only doing 135 to 140,000 buys. That, I thought, was more ESPN's fault, and and Top Rank has to, whether people realize this or not or want to accept it or not, Top Rank has to listen to ESPN's directive because they're paying the money. They're the reason Top Rank has this $90-plus million to work with every year in the budget. So they have to do what what ESPN said, and ESPN wanted to basically strong-arm people into – subscribing to their bundles or ESPN plus Disney packages and all that stuff by only allowing the Porter Crawford fight to be available on through ESPN plus that certainly cost them some buys. I'm not saying it was a 500,000 buy pay-per-view fight, but it wasn't a 135,000 buy fight either. And they did some damage there that maybe was not quite top ranks fault. I, I'm not really sure what damages Terrence Crawford is looking for Chris, because I'll say this, he fought twice during the pandemic 
one of those times I was there and uh, I was at both, but the, the first time um, the, there were maybe 200 or 300 people in the room because they couldn't bring more people in there than that for the, due to the COVID restrictions at MGM Grand Conference Center. So he was paid $4 million to fight Kell Brook in front of less than 300 people. I don't know what more you're expecting than that. First of all, by the way, you're fighting Kell Brook, a shell of Kell Brook for starters. Uh, number two, you're being paid $4 million-ish for, for, to do that. I don't know what you could really. And then he was paid $6 million, a $6 million guarantee roughly to fight Sean Porter. Mm -hmm. So combined, the two fights that he that he engaged in during the pandemic, his guarantees were combined roughly $10 million. If that's being wronged by your employer, boy, I'd really like Viacom CBS to start uh, wronging me and the zone and sports illustrated to start wronging you. It's like for, for context, like there are a handful, maybe less, maybe one or two fighters that do massive pay-per-view numbers. Really right now it's Canelo who, you know, yeah. can command a 35 plus million dollar guarantee on his contract. Other than that, like making 4 million and 6 million as a guarantee on a pay-per-view is a big number. There are not a lot yes. of fighters out there that are getting that type of guarantee. But I guess if you want to, if they want to play semantics and say, I was promised X, I wasn't delivered. You know, that is a breach yeah. of contract. I don't know enough about that. I'm not of the inner workings, but when you accuse someone of racial bias, to me, you better have a smoking gun. Like you better have an email or a voicemail or 10. I, I don't know something because that's a pretty heavy charge to make Keith, especially against somebody. I mean, Bob's been in the business for like 50 years. I, I'm not, I don't know everything about Bob Arum, but as someone that has written multiple profiles on him for SI, who yeah, off and on have kind of flirted with doing a book with him in the past. So I've, I've had a lot of conversations with Bob Arum and talking to people, a lot of people that have known Bob Arum over the years, uh, all walks of life. Uh, people that he's dealt with over in South Africa when he was doing fights over there. Don King. I've had long conversations with Don King about Bob Arum. Al Sharpton. I had many conversations with Al Sharpton about Bob Arum. These people had negative things to say about Arum. Don't get me wrong. They weren't like, boy, he's awesome. But racism? Never once. Never once did that come up. So that threw me, Keith, because, you know, and you've covered him a long time now as well. I guess anything's possible, but if you're going to make that kind of accusation, you better have the evidence to back it up. And based on reading that complaint, they're not really specifying anything except for one, you know, ambiguous kind of quote where he's talking about how, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like, you know, PBC will say, don't listen to the white guy or something like that. So I, I don't, yeah. I, I, that to me is not evidence of racial bias. Like, I, I just don't see it with Bob Arum. Uh, Chris, I think maybe the most telling thing that you said there, and it's something that I had thought about since yesterday as well, you know, having covered boxing for as long as I have, and of course, as long as you have as well, um, you know, Don King and, and Bob Arum would have killed each other had they been able to get away with it Absolutely. once upon a time. And Don King has said a lot of negative things about Bob Arum and, and you know, some of it have had, has had racial overtones and such, but I've never really heard him say that Bob Arum is a racist. And if Don King is not going to say that Bob Arum is a racist, you'd 
probably be pretty hard pressed to find other people who would because they were really at each other's throats for decades and they've since patched it up and they're both 90 years old and they're mellower versions of themselves and such. But, um, you know, it's a really dangerous game to play in the sense that, you know, Bob obviously says things that he should not say. And, and, you know, people who work within top rank, who care about the company and care about his well-being and all that, they try to rein him in and get him not to say some of these things, but it's just not going to, he, he has no filter. He's 90 years old. And I'm not excusing any of the things that he said, because I understand you're still accountable and you're a very prominent person in this sport. And you can't just say some of the things that he has said. I wish he didn't say a lot of the things that he said about Terrence Crawford, because I thought some of those things or most of those things were unnecessary and it just didn't help their relationship at all. Um, So I I do think that uh, Terrence, maybe more than anything is kind of trying to get back at Bob for some of the things that he said, because Crawford held his tongue for a very long time. He didn't say anything negative about Bob. He just kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but I remember him saying something like, well, that's just Bob being Bob, but it had to be hurtful to a guy who thought maybe he was closer to Bob than maybe it turned out to be or whatever. I'm not saying Bob didn't care about him once upon a time at all, but, but it was, it had to be hurtful for Crawford, a guy with a lot of pride, who I have repeatedly said, despite sometimes him being difficult to deal with, I have repeatedly said on this podcast and other places, uh, you know, you could make a strong argument still today that he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Now I I get the resume talk. I I get all that, but I mean, he's an elite, elite level fighter. Um, I personally think that if he fought Errol Spence, the Terrence Crawford would win, but we'd all love to see it. I think maybe that's the most, um, uh, valid claim that he's making in the, in this complaint here that, you know, maybe they made some promises related to the Spence fight that they knew that they couldn't deliver on, but that's kind of on them too. They're not naive. I mean, Terrence Crawford is a shrewd dude, man. I mean, he's no dummy. So he, did he really think that because Bob Arum said they're going to make the Spence fight next, that it was definitely going to happen. I mean, he knows all the obstacles that existed between him and Errol Spence uh, that would have prevented that fight from happening, that is still preventing that fight from happening today. And primarily, what I've tried to tell people, Chris, I know you've spoken about this as well. The, the thing that people need to understand is that both Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. think that their fight is worth more in terms of guarantees than anyone who controls the money. <laughs> so until that changes, the fight will not happen. Now, you can there are certainly arguments to be made that maybe Crawford wants it more than Errol Spence does based on some of the things that Errol Spence has said, you could certainly lean that way. Um, but the point is, is that the fight will not happen until they're realistic with their financial demands. And then I've seen some other things like, Oh, well, this is kind of like the Pacquiao. May- it's stop it. It's not hmm. pa- Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao was the perfect storm of our lifetimes and it will not be re- replicated. So just stop saying anyone who thinks it's going to be anything close to that. It won't because those guys walked away from that fight with more than $300 million combined. It's a crazy number, $300 million combined. You know, Manny Pacquiao, who was the B side, I guess you'd have to say, right. I mean, he walked away from it with almost $130 million. Mm-hmm. Now, People don't want to pay, and when I say people, I mean Bob Arum and Al Heyman primarily, they don't think it's worth paying Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence a combined $25 million in guarantees. So those two things are not comparable. And again, until they, you know, 
lessen their demands or have some other proof from a pay-per-view perspective that the fight is worth more than Al Heyman and, and Bob Arum are, are convinced that it's worth, it's not going to happen. And it's unfortunate for boxing fans because they deserve that fight. It's the fight that people have wanted to see for the last couple of years. And we're nowhere closer to it happening than we were two or three years ago, despite Terrence Crawford not being with top rank. Anymore. And Crawford made the decision in September of 2018 to resign with top rank. And Errol Spence was out there on the PBC side at that point. Other fighters that were on the PBC side, the Keith Thurmans of the world, were out there. I mean, Terrence Crawford is a smart guy. Like, he had to know when he signed that deal that it wasn't going to be easy to get the fights that he was looking for. He signed that deal, presumably, because it was a really good deal for him. Because his guarantees were pretty high, and he was going to get an opportunity to make more guaranteed money there than anywhere else. So, we'll see how this lawsuit plays out, but... Chris, can I say, yeah, sure. Can I just say one other thing? Really, and going over the, going through the lawsuit, I saw some perplexing things in the in this complaint. Like it was written by someone who has virtually no idea what they're talking about. Now, this is not Terrence Crawford writing this complaint. Right. I understand that. That's why he he's paying a lot of money for a legal team to do it. But there were references to Todd the Buff, saying that Todd the Buff just sits around smiling, waiting for Bob to turn over the business. Anyone who knows anything about top rank knows that Todd the Buff is running the business. You know, Todd and, and Brad Jacobs and Carl Moretti and, and, you know, obviously Brad Goodman and Bruce Trampler from a matchmaking perspective. They're the ones running the company. Bob is the face of the company and he's the guy that gets quoted and all that because Todd's not really all that comfortable with that. And he, you know, they allow Bob to not allow. I mean, it's his company, but they, Bob is still the face of the company. And sometimes that's to their detriment, which is why we're in this situation, because he has said some things that he unfortunately should not have said. But that doesn't make him a racist. Because again, like you said, Chris, you know, I talk to a lot of people in this business. You know, that's that's my job. I'm talk, constantly talking to people just like you are. And people say a lot of things about Bob and they call him a lot of names and they, and some of them start with an R. But I've never heard racist. I haven't heard it. And I haven't I've personally seen no evidence of him being biased against black fighters. He's always been an advocate for black fighters. The one instance that's fairly obvious to everyone and, and was a major theme you know, over the last decade and a half is he mishandled Floyd Mayweather. Mm-hmm. He did. He underestimated Floyd Mayweather's value maybe more than humanly imaginable because yeah. look what Floyd Mayweather became. Floyd Mayweather made almost a billion dollars as a boxer. So Floyd Mayweather, Leonard Ellerby, Al Heyman, were completely correct about what Floyd Mayweather could become. Yep. And Bob Arum was wrong about that. And, and to his credit, Bob Arum has repeatedly said, I was wrong about that. I didn't know how to market him to the black audience. He said it repeatedly. He made a huge mistake. It was, it was a problem and a, and a mistake. And Mayweather's well within his right to complain about that. But I mean, I, I just don't, you know, a guy who was an advocate for Muhammad Ali and, and promoted all these legendary black fighters, George Foreman, who came out in Bob's defense yesterday, um, you know, Marvin Hagler, like legendary fighters, Tommy Hearns, right? All these guys. They, I've never heard one of them say that he's a racist. So no, uh, I haven't either. So I, I certainly hope you get a level in an accusation like that. You have something to back it up. Otherwise, it's a bad look for Terrence Crawford. You, we'll see. Yeah, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, one other thing. You better have more proof yeah. than something that the, I don't want to disparage the dead, but you better have more proof than something that that the late Bob Lee who could not have been a more besmirched person in boxing. He served time in federal prison for taking bribes, the former president of the IBF. Mm. He's one of the examples they're using in this complaint. Dillian White is another one. I mean, whew, you better get some more credible 
examples than that. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, let's talk about Canelo Alvarez and what's next for him. Uh, our friend Mike Coppinger went on TV on ESPN suggesting that uh, there have been talks going on for Canelo against Jamal Charlo. So Eddie Reynoso took to social media after that, the manager and trainer of Canelo. And he basically said there have been no talks as of yet. We're going to get to something uh, in the next uh, few days. Charlo has no opponent. Canelo, we've heard the cruiserweight talk, Keith. Um, you know, 168's got Charlo and David Benavidez. You've heard Eddie Reynoso, though, say in the past that they like an idea, the idea of a fight against Jamal Charlo. Do you think we're trending in that direction? I don't, I don't think there's an option B, to be honest with you, Chris. I've been saying for a few weeks, I was on the Showtime uh, Boxing Podcast a few weeks ago, and we're breaking it down, and I, I just don't see any other way it goes than him fighting Charlo because primarily no one in their right mind is going to pay Canelo Alvarez anywhere close to the amount of money he's going to want to climb into the ring in the beginning of May to fight the winner of this cruiserweight fight on January 29th. No one's paying for that. Not Eddie Hearn and DAZN not Al Heyman, Showtime, PBC, no one's paying for it. So that's not, and, and also who's willingly getting into business with Don King at this point. You just, I mean, you might as well just drive yourself crazy. There's no point to it. And no one cares about the fight because the biggest thing about this is this was Eddie Reynoso's idea, not Canelo's. And Canelo came out and said that a few weeks ago that he didn't even know that Eddie Reynoso was going to propose this at the WBC convention. I thought it was sort of telling that Canelo made a point of saying that as if to say, yeah, it would be nice to be a five-division world champion, but it ain't the only thing for me, basically. So for him to be paid the amount of money that he's going to want to be paid, which is going to be more than his guarantee for the Caleb Plant fight, he's going to have to fight Jamal Charlo because that's the most uh, commercially viable fight in which he can make that kind of money. People have wanted to see that fight for quite some time. Charlo wants the fight. He's you know, obviously more than willing to move up to 168 pounds to make it happen. I'm interested in the Dimitri Bivol fight, but I'm less interested in that than I am in the Charlo or Benavidez fight. He clearly favors fighting Charlo next over Benavidez. He's, he has said it openly in public. And I don't know that if you're DeZone and, and Eddie, um, you know, you're, you're dangling, moving back up to light heavyweight to fight Bivol as the fight to come back to DeZone, which is a real fight. It's a good fight. It's an interesting fight. Bivol's not a, a huge light heavyweight, not as nearly as big of a puncher as Artur Beterbiev. Um, so the fight would make sense for Canelo. I just don't know that the way DAZN is going about its business now, and they're still spending a lot of money, but they're not spending the way that they once did. Could you justify trying to, pay, I mean, you're going to pay him 35 to $40 million uh, to compete with what he would make for fighting Charlo to just for a, a temporary public relations win? because he's not going to sign a multi-fight deal with anyone anymore. Mm. He's just going to go from fight to fight because he has the leverage to do that. And he's going to, and he's, and I don't blame him. He's going to get every penny out of it that he, sh that he can. He's the biggest star in the sport. He should. Yeah. I, so I think we're trending towards Charlo too. Um, I think one, one thing I've heard from talking to people around all this is that it will be interesting to see if Al Heyman, PBC is willing to do another one fight deal with Canelo because that would mean that they've essentially served up two of their best fighters at that weight class for one fight type of deals. Um, everybody mm -hmm. wants to make a long-term commitment with Canelo. Canelo just doesn't want to do it. And so I guess I'll be interested to see if PBC is willing to put up the 
I'm just 40, 45 million total, 50 million total, whatever it may be, to get a Canelo Charlo fight made um, for a one fight deal with no guarantee of what Canelo yeah. is going to do in September. Because, Keith, if you fight Char- Charlo in, uh, in May, I don't, he's not going to fight Benavidez in September. Like, that's not going to happen. So it seems more likely than not that he goes to Charlo, takes that fight, collects a big check, probably wins by knockout, and then moves on to the other option we're talking about. We're talking about Bivol being on the list. Maybe at that point we're talking about Golovkin, if they can ever get this golovkin Murata fight mm. over the finish line. So that's kind of what the, it's kind of the intel I've been hearing lately. Like, will... Will Al put up the money for Canelo Charlo knowing unless he gets a commitment for one more fight from Canelo? I mean, that's obviously uh, an important question to answer, Chris, but I don't think Al will have much choice but to do that because I think he's going to want to be involved in a big event. And also, what is he doing with Jamal Charlo at this point? He's not... Well, let's that's, a, that's an entirely. Let's not even go. Not, let's no, not even go entirely down separate conversation. Let's go down yeah. this rabbit hole this, again. But the, he's not fighting Android. Um, he's not fighting Triple G. For I, I don't know that tri- Triple G is necessarily interested in that either. Um, so, so who is Charlo going to fight? He's going to be 32 years old in May. He's undefeated. Um, he had a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say a rough time. It was a more difficult fight than I think people thought in his last fight against Montiel. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying he's taking training any less seriously or anything that, cause there's no evidence that he's doing that, but maybe he's getting a little bored. He wants a huge fight. He wants to fight Canelo. He wants to prove himself against the, you know, the pound for pound best fighter in the sport. But, so, uh, if that opportunity is there now, and there's literally no reason that it can't happen, except that you want another fight, uh, another, uh, one or two fights in terms of a commitment from Canelo, I think I think Heyman will will do it. I mean, I, he won't like it maybe necessarily because, of course, you want to be in business with Canelo for as long as possible. But also, you might be looking at it. I mean, you know, maybe they think I would favor Canelo over Charlo. It's not it's not a gimme. It's no layup. Um, but you would have to favor Canelo to win the fight. But maybe from PBC's perspective, they think that Charlo has a, a better chance of winning the fight than a lot of other people. So maybe they're you know maybe that's their chance to turn Charlo into a much bigger star than he is at the moment by knocking off Canelo, you know, and then there, and I'm sure there's going to be a rematch clause in there and everything. And then they might have to fight twice, you know, so that, then you have two huge events. I'm resisting the urge to rebut the Charlo wants to prove himself statement um, because he could have done that Whoa. over the last couple of years. Oh God, Jesus. Just saying. Didn't, didn't Andre even tell you to stop talking about this? Yeah, weren't, he, weren't you chastised by Andre no, himself? He, that the, when I heard that, I was like, man, he can't catch a break. That guy himself want, has heard enough of this shit already. I mean, come on. It was like a YouTube video circulating of Andre going at me at our fighter meeting. And like, I mean, look, I, Demetrius knows I'm his sta- most staunch advocate out there. He just wants me to lay off the Charlo stuff because he sees Mungia and Golovkin being more mech. But he might be right. I just, I just care more well, about two undefeated Chris, American middleweights fighting each other. I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I would like to see the fight also. Um, but one thing I've been told over the last couple of years is that the DAZN people have been told unequivocally that Gennady Golovkin is not fighting Demetrius Andrade. Oh, yeah. So don't, been, ask. So been, don't ask. Yeah. So, so don't ask. Yeah. So that's not even really an option. And, and that's got to be really frustrating for Andrade, obviously, because he's with this streaming service. He's undefeated. He has a middleweight title. And these people and that are affiliated with the same network and uh, – 
you know, Eddie Hearn is not technically Golovkin's promoter, but there's affiliate, you know, whatever they're doing together. Um, and he still can't get the fight. So I understand. I think, I think Eddie's, I think Eddie's on the outs with Golovkin at this point after uh, his comments after the Liam Williams fight where he kind of went after Golovkin there a little bit for not uh, yeah. for waiting till the well, he's trying to entice him to get to take the fight. I, I my my issue now, like do, where, where, I, where I'm coming around on the Android side on this, not to make this about him, but uh, like Munguia is going to fight Demetrius Ballard. Like, I, look, I, I was okay with Munguia taking a few fights at uh, 160 pounds to kind of get used to the weight. I was okay with Gabe Rosado. That's a pretty decent test for him, but yeah. he, you know, I didn't dominate Gabe, but won pretty convincingly against Rosado. And, you know, Andre's just out there. Like, he's sitting out there, you know, willing to yeah. put his middleweight title on the line. And we're going to Demetrius Ballard, who fought on the undercard of Munguia and didn't look good. Had to go the distance with Paul Valenzuela. Like, I, I don't I don't know what yeah. Munguia gets us. And I've said this to Golden Boy. I've said, you know, Eric Gomez was on this podcast a few weeks ago. I'm like, you know, I don't, it's not like I think, like, Andre might lose that fight. Like, Munguia's pretty good. Like, he's gotten a lot mm-hmm. better over the years with his volume punching, um, I think his chin's pretty solid. Like you got to keep pace with Jaime Munguia to beat him. I, I would have preferred them go straight to Munguia Andrade, but they're going to wait for Golovkin too. It's like everybody's waiting for somebody, Keith. It's like we can't get two people that actually want to fight each other. They're all waiting for something else. Right. And me, and meanwhile, you're paying for fights that people don't necessarily want to see. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, a greater problem. Well, 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 welcome to boxing, right? <laughs> to boxing again. All right. Um, as we're recording this, Philip Hergovich seems like he has an opponent in that IBF eliminator. He and Tony Yoka are engaged in negotiations. So I'll frame the question, Keith, to you a little bit differently. Over the last, like, six months, we have had Michael Hunter turn down a chance to fight Philip Hergovich. Hergovich in our fighter meeting a couple weeks back called Hunter a coward for that. He was pretty strong on that one. Uh, Recently, it's been Luis Ortiz, who quickly declined to enter negotiations there. It was Joseph Parker declined. Now, there are plenty of reasons why these guys won't fight Hergovich, especially the last two, because Ortiz and Parker could probably get something more economically viable in the next six months before uh, than Hergovich is. But does it surprise you that we're kind of going down the list in an IBF title eliminator and we stop at Tony Yoka, who has done nothing to warrant a you know eliminator opportunity? It doesn't only because Philip Hergovich is is a is a high risk, low reward type of uh, proposition, right? I mean, why would Luis Ortiz is not going to fight Philip Hurt. It makes no sense, right? I yeah. mean, yeah, he could get closer to a title shot, but he was knocked down twice by Charles Martin, obviously came back to land a big shot and win the fight. Um, but, you know, he's showing signs of whatever age he actually is. He's not going to fight Hergovic. And and I don't blame Joseph Parker either. Joseph Parker has been in a lot of tough fights, wants to get back into position to fight for a title. You know, he's going to have to go through this guy now. Too. I, I don't blame him. I wouldn't do it either. And, uh, there, there is some history. I know they have, I think, 11 and 14 fights, respectively, um, Hergovic and Yoka. Um, so uh, there's history between them. They fought three times in the amateurs. Yoka beat them in the, you were you were ringside for the semifinals of the uh, yep. of the uh, to, the heavy super heavyweight tournament in 2016 in Rio. Um, so there's a lot of history there, and it's an interesting fight. And I give Tony Yoka a lot of credit because I've seen much more from Hergovic as a pro than I've seen from Tony Yoka. So he would seem to me to be more prepared for the fight than Yoka. So it speaks to Yoka's confidence that he's willing to take this type of fight and what would I believe be his 12th fight. So, um, you know, there's some intrigue there. You would rather see that type of fight happen a little further down the line. Um, But kudos to both guys for being willing to do it. Now they have to come to an agreement here. I mean, he's all he has agreed to today so far 
is to enter negotiations. So they have to, you know, get this deal done and everything. But if the money's there, uh, you know, there's no reason why they can't fight. And it's an interesting fight between two very good undefeated young heavyweights. And, um, you know, Joseph Parker can go fight someone else to, uh, to try to inch closer toward a title shot. And, uh, and same for Luis Ortiz. Yeah, and, and one thing to remember, too, in, in the grand scheme of eliminators, like the IBF, you know, the winner of this fight's not going to get a title shot this year, I would imagine. Like the IBF is, I believe, mm. way down in the queue for uh, mandatories. And you're probably going to see a unification fight between Fury and the winner of Joshua and Usyk uh, before the end of the year. So it's not like you take this opportunity and bam, heavyweight title shot coming this summer. You're going to have to wait your turn for a while right. and probably have to take another fight or maybe two fights uh, in between. If you're Parker, who has shown he can make some money, uh, Ortiz, you're trying to cash out maybe against the Andy Ruiz type or something. There's there's plenty mm -hmm. more uh, financially viable options uh, there for you. But I, look, I think it's a good fight, Hergovich against Yoke. I, I probably would have preferred... Hergovich against someone like Jean Gelet, like because maybe you could have made it more. Uh, maybe it's more of a U.S. fight then. Maybe it's maybe you can do it even in China. I don't know, like in that yeah. area, Macau, okay. something like that. I mean, yeah. that's kind of a big event. I know Eddie Hearn has kind of eyeballed you know big fights with Zhang uh, over in China at some point. Usually they involve Anthony Joshua those talks, but um, yeah, I'd be curious to see what kind of fan base he has over there in a big yeah. professional fight. But, uh, and, yeah. and, and John Jolie is an older fighter, Chris. I mean, yeah. he's looking for this type of opportunity. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's been stuck in, you know, during the pandemic, he got stuck in China a couple of times and he, he trains actually here in New Jersey, only a, a few towns away from where I live. I'm very familiar with him and his story and everything and he can fight. I mean, um, he just, he's just looking for the right, you know, dance partner, so to speak. And it would have been nice to see him get that opportunity, but it looks like, uh, Eddie's going to have to find him so, uh, an opportunity elsewhere. You and John go for a slice or two in uh jersey every so often he he lives a couple towns away from me right and and it, it's not it's not a town where there are a lot of chinese people there are a lot of italian people it's you know it's that and he he's six foot six yeah and like i've asked him i said well you know you're a huge dude like what like and he a lot of people think he's a basketball player oh, yeah. because he's so tall and everything. So, you know, but uh, he gets a lot of, yeah. And he lives with uh, Meng Fanlong, who's his uh, former mm -hmm. Olympic teammate and everything. And they're trained by the same guy, Sean George and everything. So, yep. No, uh, to answer your question. No, we don't go out for uh, whatever you, whatever you Slice said we pizza. go out for. Slice of pizza, you know, we, uh, yeah. more summer. In he's, he, he, we're, we're both watching our carbs, obviously. So, <laughs> you know. All right, let me finish with this, Keith. Joe Smith fights uh, this weekend. Uh, initially supposed to face Callum Johnson, which I was really interested in because you'd have two kind of heavy hitters uh, going at it in a fight that probably would have ended by knockout. Uh, Johnson had to bow out because of COVID. Uh, you've got Steve Geffard stepping in. Geffard's won 18 fights in a row, but very low-level type of, of opponent, so not huge expectations for Geffard coming into this fight. What I'm curious about, Keith, is less this fight, then what's kind of next for Joe Smith? Because there are going to be a lot of interested parties out there in Joe Smith. If you're top rank, maybe you want to try to make that Joe Smith better be a fight, which would be for three belts in 175-pound division. If you're Canelo, Joe Smith gets through this fight. Does he enter those sweepstakes? Like, I don't, I doubt it, but, you know, he's got a light heavyweight belt. He's an American. Could probably market that fight pretty decently, especially if you're willing to do the fight in New York. Um you know, Daniel Jacobs is back out there. Uh, he's fighting in February. That's someone, that's a fight that's been talked about between those two guys uh, over the last uh, few weeks or so. So assuming Joe Smith gets through this fight relatively unscathed, 
Uh, what do you see as the future for him in the light heavyweight division? Look, the obvious fight to make, Chris, and the fight that people have wanted to see is Joe Smith against Arthur Bederbiev. He's a, you know, the, the biggest knockout puncher in, in boxing among world champions. He's knocked out every pro opponent. He's 17-0 with 17 knockouts. Uh, that fight should be able to be made because they're both co-promoted by top rank. Um, the way, from what it, the way it was explained to me, Joe Smith was not happy with the financial offer he received to fight Bederbiev. He wants more money for the fight. Uh, if he gets that money, that fight can be put together. It would be a big event either in Montreal at the Bell Center or at Madison Square Garden, or you could put it on Long Island, you know, where the uh, um, the Nassau, whatever they call the Nassau Coliseum now, uh, it's a refurbished building. That would be perfect because Joe Smith will draw a lot of uh, fans from Long Island for the fight. Um, so you can make some money at the gate in this fight, whether you put it in Canada or in New York. Uh, it's a, a very intriguing fight. Um, that's the fight that's that seems to make the most sense. Um, the reason I say that I would say that Canelo doesn't make sense is because the, the fight would be done in conjunction with top, it would have to be done in conjunction with top rank because Canelo doesn't have, really have a promoter. Uh, top rank under no circumstances is going to pay Canelo Alvarez uh, 35 million, 40 million, 30 million, 25. You know, you can keep going lower. They're not, they're not doing it. So, and I've been told that unequivocally. So um, while yes, I think Canelo and Joe Smith would be a good fight to have at Madison square garden and it would draw well, the top rank's not going on the hook for Canelo's guarantee. So I, 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 my best advice for people who want to see Joe Smith fight Canelo Alvarez is to forget it because I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I kind of agree with uh, you, but I, I'd, I'd love to see it, man. Like I, that's just, I would love to, I, me too, but yeah. That's just, so just fun. Like, especially you, know? you were, you were at the garden when Canelo fought Rocky Fielding. He's typically mm -hmm. a Vegas fighter. That atmosphere was awesome. Like that atmosphere was, was. so good. Yeah. It convinced Anthony Joshua to fight there six months later. Like that's how good well, that well, atmosphere. That didn't work out so great. No, it didn't work out. Well, financially, ultimately, it did. So you know, maybe, maybe it's uh, all the big wins. Watch this. Yeah, hey, finisher. Well, here he, hey, here then he you, comes. And then you collect that Middle East money six months after that. So you that know, is he, that is true. His pockets were I, lined. I, I think um, maybe something that people from the outside might not have realized is that there is a large uh, contingent of Mexican people in the New mm -hmm. York, New Jersey area, a lot in northern New Jersey in particular. A lot of Mexican people here, and Canelo's beloved. So, uh, you know, so he fights anybody at Madison Square Garden, and I think it'll do well. But particularly Joe Smith, because as you said, Joe has a, a big fan base out there on Long Island as well. Um, so, I, I guess I, you know, he, the one thing that Joe mentioned to me, I spoke to him uh, for a long time on the phone last week, and he 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 does this. He mentions this every time I speak to him. Basically, is he wants a rematch with Bivol. Now, that's not as marketable as the Better BF fight or the Canelo fight. Because Bivol why, why does he want that? What does he tell you about? Like, because I, I was at that fight, and I, I actually said this to Joe like a year ago. I was like, mm -hmm. Joe, like that's one of those fights where, like, you know, nine times out of ten, maybe ninety-nine times out of a hundred, you're probably not going to win. Like, B, but Bivol, like, is just a his skill level is to cut above, and unless you catch him, which Joe almost did late in that fight, um, it's it's just a tough fight for him to win. Well, what you just said there, Chris, is the reason why he wants another opportunity because he did catch him at the end of the 10th. I think it was the 10th, or 9th or 10th. 10th or 11th. I, I think it was something 10th. like that. Yeah, good yeah, shot yeah. right at the bell. Yeah, him with a really good right hand. And Bivol was hurt. You could tell by the way he reacted and the way he walked back to his corner that he was hurt. If Joe Smith had 10 to 15 more seconds in that round, he might have knocked Dimitri Bivol out. Hmm. He keeps that, that sticks in his mind so much that Joe Smith has a clip of that on his phone. 
that he keeps on his phone and that he looks at on occasion to remind himself of what could have happened that night in March, 2019. I was at ringside for the fight as well. And uh, he wants his rematch. Now he does realize that the better be a fight is a bigger fight now. Um, and Canelo, who doesn't want to fight Canelo and make as much money as possible. Of course he would want that, but he wants Bivol in the ring again. Now he lost virtually every round of the fight. The other thing that he told me though, that, you know, he's not really an excuse maker, Joe Smith. He's kind of like, you know, he's a, you know, a, a hardworking, you know, man's man, and he's not looking to make excuses, but he did say that he had trained several times to fight better Biev. And, and the fight was um, promised to him after better Biev fought Callum Johnson. And then for whatever reason, the fight didn't happen. So he had been training, then not training and training and not training. The short version of this is that he thinks he might've been overtrained going into the Bivol fight. Now Bivol still an excellent boxer, a very smart fighter, not the biggest puncher among light heavyweights, but, but very tough, tough to beat, but he thinks he might've been overtrained. He can't get over the fact that he might've knocked him out. Had he had 10 or 15 more seconds in that 10th round, I believe. Mm. Um, so, so for him, that's what he wants. What we want obviously is the better BF fight. And just one thing, Chris, could I, I spent a decent yeah. amount of time on the phone with uh, Steve Geffard the other day guy's got a really interesting story i don't know if he has much chance to win the fight because he's literally fought nobody he's been a pro for nine years and boy has he been matched soft um but he lost you know he was managed by shelly finkel promoted by golden boy uh had a very good amateur background as a heavyweight and then turned pro as a cruiserweight got stopped in his uh uh pro debut he got a really bad cut on his forehead in a fight he was winning but he but he lost by technical knockout came back to the ring like three and a half months later and lost again, lost a split decision to a guy who was 0-1-1. And, and Golden Boy said, all right, that's enough with you losing fights. Take it easy. And Shelly Finkel did the same thing. He disassociated himself with Steve Geffard as well. So he 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 met this businessman, a guy who um, uh, owned a uh, like this huge uh, chain of um, like home, kind of like Home Depot type of stores um, on Long Island and Connecticut and New Jersey. The guy was very wealthy, lived down in Boca Raton. He saw Steve Geffard sparring against Glenn Johnson one day, and he used to go to the gym and he had invested in other fighters. And he said, well, who's this guy? And he said, well, believe it or not, he's 0-2 and uh, blah, blah, blah. And he became his manager and he helped rebuild his career. And unfortunately, he died. Uh, his, his former manager passed away uh, in July of 2019. So he can't, obviously we'll never get him see, to, to get to see him fight for the title. But it's a pretty incredible story because he was he was supposed to fight a guy last Saturday night who was seven and eight or seven, eight and one. So something like that, which is a ridiculous opponent for someone who's 18 and two to be fighting. But he was he was in the sauna losing weight to go way in that day. And Kevin Cunningham, who's a really good trainer and tends mm -hmm. not to waste his time with guys who can't fight. So maybe he can fight a little better than we think. Um, Kevin called and say, hey, look, you can fight Joe Smith next. We'll scrap this thing. Get out of the sauna. And, uh, you know fight Joe Smith next Saturday night. He called Erickson Lubin, who's this cl very close friend who we actually lived with once upon a time. And um, uh, Erickson said, you got to take the fight, man. I mean, you look, you know, you're 31 years old. It's a great opportunity to take the fight. He called Kevin Cunningham back and boom, he's, he's fighting Joe Smith instead of some guy from Argentina who was seven and eight, whatever happened Saturday night. That's an amazing story. It's an incredible story. And all credit to him for taking a fight like this on, what, eight days' notice when he officially yeah. uh, got it. It's it's really remarkable uh, that he won't do it. I, you know, his chances to me are all about, can you keep Joe Smith off you for 12 rounds? And, you know, like, that's tough. Like, he's relentless when he comes yeah. at you. And the guy can crack, uh, that's for sure. I, you know, to, to kind of pivot it back to, to Canelo, I mean, I, I don't – I get what you're saying, top rank 
wouldn't put up that type of cash. I'm just like, is there more? If Joe Smith comes through this fight clean, like unscathed, is there a more marketable fight for Canelo in May than Joe Smith? Like, if you do it in New York, like kind of, you move up to light heavyweight, you fight this guy with a fan base in New York City, you do it at Madison Square Garden, like. You know, there, there are other good fights. Charlo well, is, is a decent fight. Bevol is a decent fight. Um, you know, if you're looking at the sheer marketability of a fight, like that, that might it, be the biggest one. Let me ask you, because from a gate standpoint, the fight would do big business Huge. in New York. Yeah. There's no two, two, ways, two ways about that. But from a pay-per-view perspective, a pay-per-view perspective, I think that Canelo-Charlo is a bigger fight. I mean, there, there's no way that, that Canelo-Charlo would not do more pay-per-view buys than Canelo-Joe Smith. I would, that's personally that's what i, what I, I think you're probably but, right um, now you, you you're probably right um i don't think it's a huge gap um but you're probably right you know charlo's got a fan uh, base and yeah, he's undefeated um he'll certainly uh sell the fight really well uh during that fight week so yeah i, I can see that um yeah it's close it's close i just I, 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 go ahead chris i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if canelo charlo um did more pay-per-view buys than canelo plant because I think people would perceive Charlo as a lot, a more live underdog in the fight than they viewed Caleb Plant as being. Um, uh, of course, if he's fighting Joe Smith, he's got to move up to light heavyweight. Yeah, Joe Smith's a banger. You know that that win against he didn't look good in his last fight against Vasov. He did not look good at all, but he looked fantastic against Elider Alvarez. He he didn't look. I don't think he ever looked better than he did mm -hmm. against Elider Alvarez, including when he fought Bernard Hopkins, because Bernard Hopkins was 50 years old when they fought. You know, so uh, I think that's the best win of Joe Smith's career against Alvarez. Who uh, Geffard, who he's fighting on Saturday night, actually has sparred um, uh, in multiple camps with Elider Alvarez, Artur Beterbiev, Sullivan Barrera, Sergey Kovalev. So he's been in the ring with all of the top light heavyweights of this era for the most part, except Joe Smith. Uh, so he's been in there with some really good fighters, just not in real fights. And of course, when the bright lights come on, we'll see how he does. Yeah. I'm coming to you, by the way, for all Steve Geffard information moving forward. You are a Steve Geffard. Uh, listen, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to write a Steve Geffard book. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to buy it outside of Steve Geffard's family. Hey, it's a great story. But... Like you said, I mean, get dropped by your promoter, get dropped by your manager, claw your way back of yeah. 18 wins. And if he's able to pull this off, that would be, I mean, wow. <laughs> that would be a hell, a, hell of a story. Story. a hell of a story for sure. No kidding. Yep. Uh, Keith, good to talk to you, man. Uh, we will catch up sometime soon. Same here, Chris. Take care, man. When we come back, a new element of the podcast brought to you by Fan. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good... I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. 
This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING, and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together the bigger your parlay the bigger your potential payout becomes i like a couple of bets for this upcoming light heavyweight title bet between joe smith jr and steve geffard stick around for that later in the podcast i get deeper into those FanDuel is america's number one sports book and is now live in new york i am a part-time new yorker i'm pretty happy to be in new york a lot of my friends over the years they were driving to new jersey to make bets on FanDuel. now they get to stay in New York City and make the bets right there. The app is so easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid out in as little as two hours. To place your bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code BOXING and make every fight mean more with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. All right, so on this podcast in 2022, we are going to add some more gambling elements to this, courtesy of our good friends over at FanDuel. And we're going to stay locked in this weekend on the light heavyweight title fight between Joe Smith Jr. and Steve Geffrard. This is a title defense for Smith and a huge opportunity for Geffrard, who is coming in as a massive underdog. And as big as those odds are, as wide as those odds are for Geffrard, I can't bring myself to betting on him in this fight. Joe Smith is minus 1,600 going into this fight. That's a big number. 
but I'm that confident that he's going to win. Joe has looked excellent in recent fights. He knocked out Aledier Alvarez. He has a win over Bernard Hopkins. He won his last fight, even though it was close, against Maxime Vlasov by decision. So he's shown he can win in a variety of different ways. Take Joe Smith as my lock of the week. Now, if you're looking for a prop bet, you got to go with Joe Smith by knockout. Again, not great odds for something like this. Joe is minus 440 to win this fight by knockout, but Geffrard has never fought anyone on the level of Joe Smith. He's won 18 fights in a row, but they have been effectively against club level level opposition. He has taken this fight on eight days notice. So even though he was training for another fight, he wasn't training for Joe Smith. And I've seen a lot of Joe Smith fights. Keeping Joe Smith off of you is a very, very hard thing to do. So I'm taking Joe Smith to win, and I'm taking Joe Smith to win by knockout. All courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can download podcasts. And we'll see you next week when maybe we'll find Sergio Mora. Manix, I'm a man on the run and I'm not doing your fucking podcast. We're not doing it, bro. I'm a man on the run. On the run. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.